Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac. I'm one of the hosts at In Doubt, as well as one of the pastors at North Valley Baptist Church in Mission, British Columbia in Canada. We're so glad that you're with us today for this episode of In Doubt. Today, I'm excited to sort of let you in on a conversation about a topic that specifically in our day is of great importance, and that is how we, as Christians, engage with the culture around us. This is a topic we come back to time and time again on In Doubt because as young adults, I mean, we are definitely in culture. You know, the media and technology and entertainment that we as young adults consume, they really do shape the way we are to think, act, and speak. You know, we are shaped into who culture desires us to be. For many young adults and, you know, Gen Zers, we have been brought up in this understanding of technology and media entertainment as a second language. We're, we're engulfed in it. Now, when we think about culture, we also need to think about the stories culture is telling us about who we are and what we apparently want or what we apparently need. We have to think about the narratives in culture. You see, culture is a storyteller. Culture is a narrator, telling us stories of how we can find fulfillment and happiness in what it offers. You know, I've thought about the idea of what it means to exegete culture, which you may have heard about, to actually pull out and discover the overarching stories that culture is telling us. You know, we often think of exegeting, if if you know that word, we often think of exegeting as something we do to the Bible or other written works. You know, we draw out from the text the original author's intended meaning. That's kind of what exegesis is getting to. But if culture is a storyteller, then think about it. Culture is a text which we as Christians ought to be exegeting. We have to figure out the main point behind these stories and then compare them to the gospel and see if they are worthy of our acceptance or engagement. Some years ago, a book was written called This Is Our Time, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. It's written by today's guest, professor and author Trevin Wax, who we had chatted with back when this book came out, who discusses with us culture's myths in comparison with the gospel. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that we've had with Trevin Wax. Well, it's great to be talking this week with Trevin Wax. Trevin is an author, he's a pastor, Bible publisher, and more, I assume. Um, I'm glad to have you with us today, Trevin. Glad to be with you, Isaac. Hey, before we uh, jump into sort of the general topic of just sort of Christianity and culture, being faithful in the midst of culture, um, and also your new book coming out called This Is Our Time, um, that gets into that more detail, uh, why don't you just share with us briefly who you are kind of as an individual, and specifically, um, if you if you can, how you responded to Jesus calling you to himself. Yes, so um, my name is Trevin Wax. I am uh, currently serving as the Bible publisher for uh, Rodman and Holman in uh, the Nashville area in Tennessee. Um, I am married to Karina. Um, we have three kids. Uh, that are 12, 8, and 3. Uh, my wife and I met in, uh, we met in Romania, actually. I did um, 
a lot of mission work there as a teenager and then moved there and lived there for several years um, in my uh, when I was uh, doing my undergraduate studies and uh, also when I was involved in a lot of mission work in uh, villages around the city that I lived in. And so um, we've been married for for a while, have those kids. And for me, as far as my my spiritual journey is concerned, I would say, um, you know, I was blessed uh, to be raised in a Christian family. Um, church was uh, an ever-present reality uh, from the time I can remember. I had a, I never remember a time when I did not have a hunger for God's word. Um, so I was, I was very young when I uh, first trusted in Christ in a way that I remembered cognizantly putting faith in Jesus. But then uh, it, I was uh, a little older uh, when I was baptized. My, my parents waited and gave some time for, for that to, to show fruit. And then um, I always had a hunger for God's word from the very time I can remember. So, so a, a lot of people, I think, think of um, testimonies and they think of the, the, grand before and after experience totally. for me yep, yeah. <laughs> for, for, I, for me i have to think in terms more of trajectory like mm. knowing my own sins and struggles and patterns of selfishness that are still in my life i i can kind of see where my life might have gone had god not rescued me so young That's at so, so such a young age yeah so. actually it's funny that you say that i was just listening to some seminar thing that John Piper was doing. And, and he said he knew a friend that always says, yeah, the Lord saved me from drugs and alcohol when I was three. And I was like, I love that. That's great. Because it's he knew his trajectory and he knew he was a sinner, right. you know, depraved. That's and right. The Lord saved him then. So that's an awesome testimony. I think that's powerful. Uh, my wife has a similar one. So that's that's really cool. Um, all right, Trevin, you've written a lot. <laughs> you know, you, you just go onto your blog on the Gospel Coalition site and you just have article after article over various topics. And that's obvi- that's awesome. God obviously has gifted you with a passion to speak up and out and on, all these different things. But you also written books. Um, but this year you have uh, a book coming out called This Is Our Time, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. Uh, it's coming out. So let's just start super simply. Like, what what is this title about? If someone were just seeing this on the bookshelf, uh, what do you kind of, what, what does this mean? Well, there's a bit of a double meaning there with the title. I think at, at first... Um, I, at first, I'm, I'm saying this is our time, right? So the book is going to offer some snapshots of our current cultural moment in 21st century North America. You know, what are the cultural developments, the trends, the things that are um, things that we need to be aware of if we're going to be good missionaries in the culture that God has placed us? So first, I'm just saying, hey, this is our time. Let's take a good look at the time that we live in at the culture, not just the where of where we live, but also the when in which we're living, what these uh, generational trends and things that have happened philosophically and then all throughout um, history and leading up to this moment where there's a lot of things that are affecting our beliefs, our habits, our practices. And so to start out the book, the, the title is saying, yeah, this is our time. But then there's another aspect of that too, where I'm emphasizing the hour. This is our time. You know, a lot of times I think Christians, especially when they feel besieged in the culture or they feel like society, you know, is, is, um, more anti-Christian than ever before or whatnot, they, be, they we begin to lament and mourn, um, past eras. And that nostalgia can actually lead us to not see those eras for what they were, the challenges that, 
were actually there, some of the sins and flaws, even in the Christians that have gone before us. And so part of what I'm saying is to say, hey, this is our time. Uh, right now, the curtain is up. We are on the, the platform. The great cloud of witnesses is surrounding us, cheering us on, those who have been. This is our time, you know, on the stage or in the race, if you want to switch metaphors. And so part of what I'm saying is that as well. Like, Let's take a look at culture, but then let's also just realize we have the awesome privilege and calling of being faithful to Christ in this time. That's exciting. Let's let's get on with the mission. That's so good. And obviously there's that communal aspect. Like this is our, like the church, like this, let's do this, you know? I love that. That's, That's right. That's so good. Um, and then obviously everyday myths in light of the gospel. So what is that part about? Yep. So I'm, I'm looking at certain things, assumptions, things that we believe in the world that give shape to our lives. Okay. So when I talk about myths, I'm not simply talking about falsehoods. I'm using myth in that broader sense of like stories, narratives that, that we uh, are able, that we adopt that actually give shape and meaning and significance to our lives. And this happens not just with, with Christians. It have, I mean, it's just, we are myth making people. This is part of what we, we do. We, we are, um, so when I'm speaking of myths, I'm not simply speaking of, things that are untrue. I'm speaking of things in the world, stories that we believe, and then I'm wanting to show, hey, what's good and right and beautiful about some of the the narratives that give shape to how people live in our life, but then also what what's wrong with some of these uh, narratives? How do they fall short of the the gospel's story of our world? And then uh, uh, I I, want to bring the gospel to bear on these assumptions that often we don't even question. Right, exactly. And, you know, like, obviously you go go through the book and you're going to be able to, you kind of explain some of those myths. But I don't know, just to give an example to our listeners, what what isn't an example of a myth that maybe a lot of us blindly sort of fall into? That's a a good question. Um, There are what I would say big, big myths. And then sort of small myths. So a big overarching myth that like a lot of people in our society would abide by without even really questioning or even understanding it would be something like the myth of progress. Okay. The idea that as society goes forward, we advance technologically, we advance scientifically, and we sort of shed this sort of silly superstitious elements of religion in the past, like you go into any university in just any secular university, just about any place in the United States or Canada, and that is the dominant myth of uh, of these universities, right? That this is the trajectory. So if you're religious or you have this sort of religious base for morality or whatever, that's a throwback. You know, that's back in the Stone Ages. That's that's kind of behind. So that is a dominant myth that comes out in all sorts of beliefs and practices in uh um in college campuses across our continent um and that that would be one of the ones i would say that's that's like a a big myth okay that's one of the major ways of seeing but there are smaller myths that get embedded into our our own um habits our own practices even our entertainment choices you know consumerism the way that we consume or that we shop or that we think that uh the way that we plot the trajectory of our life or we would tell the story of our life is based on, for a lot of people, it's based on, um, am I moving forward in my career? Am I moving forward in my income level? Am I, you, you know, have I taken a step back this year? See, this is a way of like understanding your life that has that myth 
uh, at its heart rather than what the gospel would say, for example, that, you know, our progress or our regress is, 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 is in terms of holiness, growing to become more like Christ, you know, that we're, we're, we're measuring steps forward and steps back. And that's the story of our life, not income, career and whatnot. So just two examples there, one big myth, one small myth, both of them deeply affect the way we live. Yeah. And that's so good. And in, in your introduction, I, I highlighted this, uh, this sentence because I thought it was kind of scary, but in a good way, like you asked the question, uh, rhetorically, like what if we are living according to the myths in our culture without even questioning them? And when I read that, I was like, oh man, like, yeah, that's true. Like I do want, you know, this progress. And I, I, I am sort of counting my, my identity on that, on that sort of progress. But what I think is interesting is that you you line out, at least in the introduction, you line out the idea that I guess to be a, a faithful Christian involves this, you know, understanding that there's a deeper longing there, um, that when people are, you know, striving after the sort of progression of culture in their own individual lives, there's something underneath there and we need to be able to, uh, you know, understand what that longing is and then you talk about the lie and then obviously the light. And uh, yeah, could you kind of explain that, those three kind of pieces? That would be awesome if you could do that. Yes, very, very important to hold all of those together. So there, Christians tend to do, a, uh, to fall into one of two traps when it comes to how we engage in culture, how we seek to be on mission for the kingdom of God in this day and age. One, one group immediately sees what's false in the midst of the world. So I call them lie detector Christians in, in the book, meaning they can expose the lies right away. You know, like, this is not true. Line this up to the gospel. I can show you all the places where this myth or this understanding of, of the world is false. And we all know those and Christians in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's easy to think, hey, that's a really discerning Christian. But I would actually say, no, they're not quite discerning enough. Because it's it's important not just to be able to point out lies, but also to be able to go to go back to the deeper longings behind the myth. Why does someone, you got to ask the question, why does someone want this to be true? You know, why does some, why do so many people in our world want this to be the way that the world works or want this myth, this understanding of consumerism or entertainment or whatever it might be to be true of the world? And that goes back to what's the longing behind that? Um, because what, what, what happens is, um, in our sinfulness, as um, so we're, we're created by God for God, right? Our hearts are restless until they find themselves in God, as Augustine said. Um, so we have this restlessness for God, but because of sin, it is totally misdirected in all sorts of rebellious and sinful and depraved ways. So what, what, what it happens when you bring those two truths together? We were created by God for God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? That's what we were made for. And at the same time, we're going into all of these different polluted wells in order to satisfy that thirst. So it's one thing to simply pull back and say, look, that fountain, that well is polluted. Uh, but it's another thing to also say, hey, I've got the living water you really want. You know, we, we actually have the, the, the light of the gospel that deep down inside you really want, and yet you in your uh, misdirected sinful state are, are pursuing this happiness that you want in all sorts of wrong ways. And so that, the, the reason that we need to, when we see the big myths of the world, take into consideration both the longing and the lie is because the gospel does both of those things. It, it challenges falsehood, exposes lies, 
but at the same time also fulfills the deeper longings that have led people to believe these lies in the first place. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, you say that Christians who shine the light of the gospel on the myths of our world do not simply say, this is right, this is wrong, but this is better. The gospel tells a better story. That's a quote from your book. So what does that look like practically, though, to be a Christian that's not just, this is right, this is wrong, but to actually be able to live out that truth of this is better, the gospel is better? Oh, yeah. I Let me give you, uh, let me give you an example where I think this come, comes to, to play really strong. So it, um, recent research by uh, the Barner Group, I've got it listed in one of the chapters in the book, uh, like 91% of North Americans say to find yourself, you look within yourself. Uh, like 80-something percent of North Americans say that the highest goal of life is enjoying yourself. In other words, almost everyone is a hedonist, okay? <laughs> um, and, because that's like the definition of hedonism, you know? And then find what you enjoy the most and like another 80 something percent it's like find whatever makes you happy and pursue it that's how you are happy right so and then and then you look at the actual spread between that group and then church going christians like practicing christians those who actually attend church and the 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 spread of percentages in that is not that is not as big as you would expect it to be. It's, it's, it's frightening to see that. So a lot of church going Christians are actually going to church because they think the church is going to help them live in that story, fulfill that narrative, just find, you know, help them pursue the better version of whatever they want to be. So you take that understanding of, Hey, this is, this is the world we live in. This is how people are living. This is what they're pursuing with all their might. And then you say, okay, well, I can show from scripture that that is wrong, right? Um, that I can say this is right, the gospel is right, and that is wrong. And some preachers, I think, are going to want to just completely, they're going to see those stats and be rightly frightened. And then they're going to be like, I'm going to hit this head on, right? Yeah, I'm going to totally. show just how wrong this is. But what I would want to say is, though, come around, come alongside and ask, what is the deeper longing there? Um, how can you show that the gospel is better? And I think the way you do that in this case, it is exhausting, to try to find yourself and make sure that you are the one totally responsible for your own happiness. It is exhausting to be a millennial in this environment where basically your own satisfaction, happiness, success completely depends on you. Finding yourself, looking deep within yourself will make you feel claustrophobic at some point, right? The beautiful thing about the gospel is that you don't look inside for salvation. You look up for salvation. Salvation that comes from outside of ourselves. It breaks into the, the, the sort of smallness of our own lives. And so we have the opportunity to present the gospel, not just in the way that says, hey, this way you see the world is wrong. Look, the gospel is right. But to show this story is so much better than the idea that you buster up salvation from within or you have to create meaning and significance for yourself, or you have to even trying to discover what makes you happy. Like, how do you even know that? You know, a lot of times what people, a lot of times what people think is going to make them happy is not what makes them happy at the end of the day. Or how, how do you explain to people that did achieve everything they ever dreamed of and all of their success? And then at the end of life, still, there's got to be something more, you know, we have the answer to that. So to show that it's better, we need to be able to come alongside and say, Hey, this story isn't just untrue. It's not as good as the true story that we have that comes from, from the gospel. That's so good. 
Um, Trevin, as we as we wrap it up here, um, your your book, uh, just a, a kind of a pointed question. Like, you, obviously, you wrote this book for God's glory. Why are you writing this book right now in our culture? I had my life group at church in mind when I wrote this book. I wanted to to serve um, ordinary Christians who are out scattered throughout the world in their different vocations. I, I did not. I wrote this book to be as engaging and interesting as possible, to weave stories and examples and illustrations, because I, I wanted ordinary, um, uh, uh, faithful Christians who have this longing to be faithful in this time and yet also feel this sense of inadequacy. I mean, just so many people I talk to, they feel disoriented because of the rap- rapid changes that we are seeing in society. I, I I wanted to equip them. And so my my goal for this book would be the, the edification of the church, the building up of God's people, uh, the building up of confidence in the gospel, that we do have the better story, that it, it, it isn't just true, it's also better, helping them to share that more, helping them to see some of the places where we may even be complicit with uh, of the false worldviews in our society um, so that we can repent of that, but then also stand out and shine like stars in the crooked and depraved generation that we are living in, that we will be amazing testimonies to, to God's grace. That's so good. I love that. Uh, we, we obviously can't get into everything, so that's why we, we all need to read your book, I guess. Um, but Trevin, if people want to learn more about you, what you do, or are interested in your book, what, what can they do? What's the best thing they can do? So my website is trevinwax.com, but it's, it's uh, my blog. But if you click that, it'll take you right over to where my blog is hosted on the Gospel Coalition. Um, that's where I'm writing most regularly. Uh, but, you know, lots of stuff. I've been writing up quite a bit about the book or on subjects that are talked about in the book the last uh, few weeks, the last couple of months. And uh, I hope that some of that will be of interest and of help to, to people as you're you're seeking to be to be faithful to Christ in the yeah. fallen world we live in. That's so good. And to our listeners, I'll have all the links uh, to everything that Trevin has just said on the episode podcast page. But anyways, Trevin, again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to chat with me. And I just hope, uh, yeah, that people are encouraged and convicted, that the church is encouraged and convicted uh, by this book and by your writing. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Again, Trevin's book is called This Is Our Time, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. And like I said in the conversation, uh, links to important information, such as getting his book and reading his other books, uh, will be up on the episode podcast page. I want to finish here, this podcast, with talking about worship. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, some of you may know it, uh, says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. To bless God is to worship God. It's to praise him, thank him, love him, and honor him with our everything, right? Like we just read, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Blessing God is really our ultimate purpose, individually as people, but also corporately as the church. 
In fact, blessing God is everything's ultimate purpose. The last three verses of Psalm 103 um, say this, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, when you and I bless the Lord, when we worship him, we praise him, honor him with our everything, we join with every created thing in the natural and supernatural world in the song of eternity, which is the song of praise to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, this blessing that we give to God, this praise, this adoration and honor for him, is really the underlying activity, or you could say movement, that sustains true life. You see, there's a life that comes from Jesus for us that is meant to be lived. Jesus did not come so that you might live the good life, right? But the true life and the intentional activity of our worship to God is the key that unlocks our experience of the true life in Christ. It's not the substance of the true life. We know that the grace and the peace of God are the ingredients of the true life. But when it comes to our response, worship is the way forward. Blessing is the base upon which we move into more and more experiences of the true life. The question then is, for you and for me, do we bless God? Do we worship God? If a psychological surgeon began to cut into your daily activities and routines at work, at home, and at play, and then deeper still into your motivations and intentions for why you do what you do, and then deeper still into your heart's loves and desires, what would they find? Would they find an unbreakably strong current of worship to God that dictates everything in your life? Or would they find a strong current of self and idolatry dictating everything? Do we bless God? Do we worship him? You know, I know in my life, the current of worship to God and blessing God deep in my soul could be a lot stronger. So how do we make a weak trickle of worship to God into a strong force in our hearts? Well, there are many ways, but I want to just suggest one massive way, and that is by remembering all of God's benefits for us. Remember what we just read in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So how do you turn a small creek into a raging river? By increasing the water, by breaking the dam, you could say. So how do you grow a forceful heart of worship in us? By increasing our intake and knowledge of God, including who he is and all his benefits for us. By breaking the dam that are the distractions in life that cause us not to really receive all that God has for us. You see, we will bless God better and worship him stronger the more we know God and the more we know what he's done for us and the more we walk in those truths and those blessings. Our goal in life ought to be to be able to say truthfully with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Our goal is that our worship, our adoration, our praise, and our honor of God would grow to be strong, deep, and impenetrable. But as we said, what fuels worship is knowing God, particularly who he is and what he's done for us, and then walking in those truths. By the power and help of the Spirit, we want to see the dam opened, releasing a force so strong toward us that we'll just be carried away with it. So I pray that your worship to God will grow 
uh, as well as mine will grow as we continue to believe and walk in all the benefits of God for us. Well, that wraps up this week's show. I hope that you can join us next week as we hear another conversation that has to do with faith and with culture. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.